There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Calgary entrepreneur Megan Leslie. Megan is the co-founder and CEO of Nanotest, a Canadian startup commercializing nanotechnologies in the health and decontamination sectors. Prior to Nanotest, Megan worked as a management consultant where she supported the design and implementation of enterprise-wide strategy and workforce transformations. As if that's not enough, Megan co-founded the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization at the University of Calgary, which helps student entrepreneurs validate their venture ideas. Megan's desire for continuous growth drove her to complete two bachelor's degrees, one in mechanical engineering and the second in finance. In 2020, Nanotest was also named the winner of Startup Canada's Canadian Export Challenge Pitch Competition in the scale-up category. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. Um, really, really eager to get in and dig in about the nanotech solutions in wound care and cancer and the, the amazing stuff you're doing. But first of all, because our entrepreneurs are all um, busy people and want to know they're, they're going to get the most for their time. Can you tell me what, it's, what are one or two pieces of advice or learning that you want them to take away, that you want our listeners to take away from this conversation today? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say the big takeaways are um, for any aspiring or current entrepreneur to really find something that you're passionate about and then just get started. I find it's really easy for us to make excuses on why we can't do something um, and put, put, put processes in place that um, prevent us really from getting started. And the big thing that I just want everyone to know is that even if you don't feel qualified for the role, no one ever starts out qualified. Uh, so it's all about just getting started, doing that one small thing, establishing the momentum through those things, and then really following your passion to keep that momentum moving forward. 
That, that is a beautiful uh, concept, the idea. No one starts out qualified, and that's absolutely true. And, and it's so important that people not let that stop them. Because if you compare yourself to other entrepreneurs who are at the top of their game, yeah, of course, uh, you know, you, you might see a huge gap between here and there, but they probably started just the same way and they probably didn't have the tools and resources that we have today that can, that can really help us grow. So thank you for that. Now, you've been a nuclear decommissioning engineer. You've been a consultant uh, at, at KPMG. Um, tell me about your journey and how you got into the med tech space from there. Yeah, I think um, you summed it up good. My career path has definitely not been linear. Um, and I've been, able, I've been able to have really great opportunities in working in a variety of industry and solving a variety of problems. Um, and that, I think, is one of the abilities that's helped me grow as an entrepreneur and to build the toolkit um, to really become almost a Swiss Army knife for solving problems. Um, and the big thing that management consulting really helped me learn is it was a great pay place for any budding entrepreneur to start out at because you get to grow skills and confidence in your problem solving abilities. And in the end, it really helps you build out your ability to handle ambiguity. And for entrepreneurs, that's a lot of the work we're doing is uh, really playing in the where do we go next and how do we solve this problem and then just tackling it. Um, so yeah, I think management consulting was a perfect place to grow those skills. You sort of summed up the entrepreneurial experience as problem solving. Is, is that what it is to you? Is that you see it as just a whole series of problems to be solved? Definitely a whole series of problems. There are probably 15 to 30 buckets in my head at a time with this current startup. And each one of them has their own little problem to solve. And I view it, it's almost opportunity solving in a way too, because it's not, uh, it's not demotivating. It's really exciting to overcome and to push and grow things forward. Wow. So you are currently involved with nanomolecules and nanocatalysts that promote healing and protect wounds from infection. Um, I don't even, I'm, I think maybe I know what a nanomolecule is. It's a really, really, really small molecule. And when I was young, molecules seemed to be about as small as you could get. Um, and what? And now we also have nanocatalysts. So tell me a little bit about this technology that you're in and how you got into it. Yeah, of course. So I actually, I'll start with how I got into it. So it's actually really, it's really personal to me and my co-founders um, because we've been impacted by the health problems that we're trying to solve with this nanotechnology, all the way from the cancer to the diabetic foot ulcers. And we've been able to see firsthand the success and the, the impact that these nanotechnologies had. So one of the takeaways I wanted to say is follow your passion. And for me, helping others and solving these health challenges really became my passion and helped spark my ability to keep moving forward and pushing the startup as it grows. As for the technology, um, it's, it's, really, it's really exciting. So you can imagine our nanocatalysts are about a thousand times smaller than your average bacteria. So if you can even conceptually figure out how small a bacteria <laughs> is, imagine a thousand times smaller. Um, and My head is spinning already. <laughs> yeah. A lot, right? How big is a bacteria? How many could I put in a tablespoon? I have no idea. <laughs> um, 
it's yeah, it's it's a bit of a mind twister when you get into nanotechnology and nanoscience, but um, our particles have been designed in a way that gives them specific uh, abilities to do certain tasks. So if we focus in on the wound care one, what these nanocatalysts are really doing is in the wound environment, they're providing a low energy pathway or a shortcut that just allows your body to do more with less. And that's really what catalysts are really great at doing is they give these shortcuts that just help things go faster, help it go easier, use less resources to make something occur. Um, and the second piece of our technology with these nanocatalysts is we've, we've developed them to be almost like a Trojan horse for those pathogens. So pathogens being bacteria, viruses, fungi. Um, and when they go up to, when the, a pathogen sees them, they consume it thinking it's healthy. And as a result, as a Trojan horse, it creates internal stresses that just leads to the pathogen's um, death. And that's why it really is able to um, both heal a wound and by provide protection from infection both at the same time. Wow. And did you get into these problems because of personal experience or people you know with, uh, with problems and wounds and conditions like these? Yeah, I think all three of our co-founding team got into it primarily for um, the cancer one. So our one co-founder um, suffered from cancer herself. And then I, my second co-founder, who's also my partner, his father suffered from cancer. So we've used this technology on both of them um, and used this great science to really be able to see the impact that it can have for cancer patients. Um, and the result's been fantastic. Like I mentioned, it's just something that there's a huge opportunity here if we can build it to a point that it can be um, developed and ground in really great science to make sure um, that it can be used by everyone. Right. Um, on your website at nanotest.com, there, there's a little bit of information about some of the studies that you've done and the results that you've had. Um, it's written... Partly hugely sciencey, but also, but it's still understandable uh, to 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 lay people coming along and reading them. So I, I recommend that uh, uh, listeners go check that out if they're interested and see just what's happening there. I mean, twenty years ago, this would have been um, unthinkable; would have looked like a miracle. How would you characterize? the progress that we've made in nanotech that it's able to make change to, to, to transform patient outcomes this way. I think it's a really emerging field and it's been an emerging field for a while, a little bit more recent in health, but still over the last five years, at least, it's been something that people are putting a lot of attention into. And one of the things that we're really cautious of is we never want our products to be viewed as a miracle because they're they really are part of a holistic care system. So for diabetic foot ulcers, for example, our product can could be very successful at healing um, an ulcer, but you're not healing diabetes. So if you were to just use this product and not actually help patients with the core of what is spurring this condition, it's not something that we, we want to promote or we believe in. So we still want all of our products to really fit within the holistic standard of care that patients would be receiving and just have this opportunity to hopefully um, tackle wounds that current standard of care might not be able to address. 
Right. I, I'm properly chastised for using the M word. Um, <laughs> no worries. But from, 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 from the outside, though, it, 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 it looks pretty. It's a lot of awesome people thing. say it. It's, it's a really awesome thing. And we, we are hopeful that it will be um, a fantastic cure or not cure, but treatment for, for many people. So you've just recently raised so, 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 so a, a pre-seed round. So where are you in terms of actually being able to commercialize a, pro, a product and start selling it? Yeah, so our pre-seed round, like you mentioned, it just finished. And what it really has been able to give us the, the funding and momentum to do is to get the Canadian clinical evidence um, required for convincing practitioners. Um, and regulatory bodies. So we're really tackling US and Canada at the same time from the perspective of getting all of the evidence required for approval and to convince the practitioners to use it um, and then be able to roll it out in those two countries. We, we're looking like Canada will probably be first and an ambitious goal would be that by the end of 2021. Um, so don't hold me to it, but 2021 <laughs> is my goal. <laughs> Uh, optimism yeah optimism. optimism fuels all entrepreneurs yeah um and just tell me how you got a hold of this technology did it come from your co-founders and maybe we should name them and just tell you could tell me just a little bit about each of them yeah of course so the the science came from our co-founder dr lopez and she's actually got 35 years of research experience in uh, catalytic nanomedicine that's a mouthful, but essentially... 35 years experience in catalytic nanomedicine, and I'm only learning about this field now? Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a very... Um, she actually started out more in a material science field, so not health applications. Really? But building, wow. building very, very small catalysts. Um, and it, her experience and knowledge in the space is just really, really unmatched in my opinion, but she's a fantastic uh, mentor and scientist and just incredibly brilliant woman um, and very inspiring as well. She She's one of those people who really inspired um, myself and my, our other co-founder, um, who I'll talk about next, to, to be impactful about um, why we are doing this work and to be socially motivated to help others because she's built this technology really with the passion of helping. Um, and we wanna keep that mission moving forward. And our last name, uh, our last co-founder actually, his name is Julian Mulia. And as mentioned, he, he's also my partner. We're, we've been playing around with entrepreneurship and really in, followed very similar career paths, management consultants, engineers, and uh, we're really, complete opposites with a lot of the same experience. And I think we make a pretty powerhouse of a co-founding team because of it. Wow, that, that, that is pretty impressive. And uh, you've described Nanotessa as a social enterprise. So what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so really what it means is we're putting people and our p patients who are suffering from these conditions at the center of our business strategy. Um, so for us, we've experienced the unfortunate experiences of having to choose between life-saving technologies and just not being able to afford them. So what social, what this company means to us and what Dr. Lopez really inspired us to understand and believe in is that we want to make the products accessible. 
um, we can make a sustainable business, but at the same time, we can allow patients who need these products who couldn't afford them to have access to them. And that's really the big piece is that access component. Um, a few of the actionable pieces that we've already put in place, um, even prior to sales, is the two commitments of having for every one product sold, one will be donated. And the second is just to con commit to raising awareness as much as possible around diabetic foot ulcers and to at least get people thinking about what they are and how they could be affecting themselves or their loved ones in the future. Wow. Is that what they're teaching at the Haskane Business School? Or did you <laughs> pick that up yourself? Uh, you know what? Actually, man my experience at Deloitte as a management consulting is really what inspired the social enterprise. Uh, Deloitte is such a big advocate for social enterprises. Um, and the way they can motivate your people to drive amazing outcomes forward. Um, so being being more holistic in your business strategy. And, and I think I am a strong believer in it. And I've seen in a healthcare system what it's like if you don't have that social and impactful piece to it. So it was a, a no-brainer for us to really put that at the front and center of the company. Fantastic. Help me understand um, sort, sort of what products are you going to be selling? Is it treatments, therapies, drugs? And where do you and, and what gap are you filling in, in the, the, in the market sectors you've chosen? Yeah, so our products, um, because the way the nanocatalysts work, they're actually classified as medical devices. Um, so the, the great thing about that is it really simplifies regulatory pathway. So getting the product approved for use on people. And, and we're playing primarily the first market that we're going to be playing is in the diabetic foot ulcer space. So when you have a healthcare product, you, you need the best thing is to focus. I think that's the best thing to focus for any entrepreneur, actually. Is focus on solving one problem. You can have all of these many problems in your head to solve later. Um, but do one thing really, really well, and then the rest will come after. And then that's diabetic foot ulcers for us. That's perfect. Yeah, finding just the right niche, the the, uh, the 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 place where you can have the most impact per sort of pound of experience and and expertise that you have. Uh, that, that's 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 really important. How big is the problem of of diabetic foot ulcers? I think my father had a problem with that. Um, is that a fairly common thing? And has there been a good solution in the past? Yeah, diabetic foot ulcers are a really big problem. And the concerning piece is that there, there's just such little awareness around them. I don't think, like, I personally didn't know it existed before it came into my life, um, which, is, which is a bit weird because we all know cancer, we all know um, diabetes, but we don't know about foot ulcers. Um, and the problem itself is so big that globally someone will lose a limb every 20 seconds because of this condition. And in, 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 in terms of the work that you've done, and obviously you're levering off a medical professional who's been uh, working on this for many years, but just what is it that makes it possible for a, a, a new startup like yours to come up with a... Re a what sounds like you know a really new and effective treatment in an area like this why wouldn't the big guys have done this already i think um i think innovation really 
it's what what I've what I've experienced. My my experience is that innovation is really um, predominant in small companies because they're able to be a little bit more agile and put the time and effort into one small thing. And I think big companies they they're starting to shift to do this really well as well. But every big innovation seems to start out small, and then a bigger company will just be more interested in acquiring those innovations when they get to that point where the unmet need is really being solved is in severe diabetic foot ulcers. And right now only about one third of diabetic foot ulcers will never heal. And when they become um, infected and create life or limb risk, the amputation will occur. And this happens in about one in five people who get a foot ulcer. So the problem is still after many years not being fully addressed. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly why, but it might it might just be a very hard problem to solve, but we're very hopeful that we have something to really be niche in that area that's just not being met by the bigger players. The principle that you talked about of, of focusing on one small thing, do you think that applies specifically in highly technical, medical, and scientific fields? Or do you think, based on your experience working with entrepreneurs in the past and at, and at school and uh, in the consulting work that you've done, do you think that applies only to the technical spaces? Or do you think it could apply to entrepreneurs looking to make a difference in all kinds of different markets? I think it can definitely apply to entrepreneurs looking to make a difference in all kinds of markets. It's something that I think when you get started in entrepreneurship, people will always tell you, keep focused, keep focused, keep focused. And at first it doesn't always make sense, or at least it didn't to me. But when, when you start moving forward and you see how many problems at a time entrepreneurs are solving in their business, um, you start to realize that focus is really what's giving you the time and capacity or capacity to do that one thing really, really well um, and not get distracted by the other pieces that may may allow you to miss something or just not do it to the quality or standard that you could have if you had that focus. Right. So many entrepreneurs think, well, if so many people think, and a lot of them aren't entrepreneurs, but this is what keeps them from becoming entrepreneurs because they think, if this could be done, someone would have done it already. But you're kind of proof that there's still greenfield opportunities out there. Yeah, and I think um, that was one of the points that when we were working, when I've been working with young, especially young and student entrepreneurs, is that really there probably is almost no more unique ideas out there. But it goes back to my first point. And that's if you have the passion and the willpower to drive this forward, to handle all the ambiguity that's thrown at you to actually realize ideas, that's the real win that's happening. And just because it, someone might have thought of it or a thousand people might have thought about this idea or three people might already be commercializing this idea, it doesn't mean it can't be a successful business for you as well. It might not be a billion dollar business, but it can definitely be a successful business if it's done well. Someone suggested to me that I should ask you what it's like being a woman entrepreneur and innovator in a 
highly technical medical field, but I feel you've been doing this a long time. I mean, you graduated from mechanical engineering, which in my head still seems to me to be sort of a male-dominated field. Uh, so have, have you, you, you've, do you feel you're in your element uh, doing things like this? I definitely think I am. I've never, I've never been a person to focus on um, those demographic um, limitations about being a female in a field. I definitely think for any women looking to get into a male-dominated area, it's to just don't be afraid to get started and don't be the one to psych yourself out or turn the opportunity down before you get started. And when you when you do that, you'll quickly find that there are so many mentors and allies out there to support you. Um, and that's been really something that's helped me the most because my allies and mentors came from these fields that there were very few women in at the time. And looking back on it, there are even more women going into these fields. And it's think it's helpful to have even more allies there to support them. Right. Tell me a little bit more about these uh, supporters and allies, because I've been in this field a long time and, and I'm a real believer that, the, that there are allies, supporters, mentors and advisors out there that entrepreneurs don't tap into enough. So tell me how you discovered, to, to tell me what kind of supporters and allies you've discovered and how you connected with them. Yeah, so I think um, the big thing for me is I didn't start out my entrepreneurial journey with an idea or a company. I, I knew I wanted to explore and to become an entrepreneur and build up the skills I needed to do that eventually. Um, and what really helped me is that I just got out there. Even before the idea and the company, I started building my network. I was bold. I got out there. I found people who I'd like to have as an on, as an entrepreneurial mentor, people I'd like to have just in my network. And I was able to really, once this idea came along and the company was formed, tap into that network. Um, and my most valuable mentors are actually the ones that I've had for the past six to 10 years who I met at innovation events. We had a something in common and they were just life coaches until um, the moment that now they're entrepreneurial coaches for me. So I'd say the mentorship is always happening. And in return, like almost everyone I've asked has been more than willing to help and provide support. And in return, all, all I ask is that, or all they ask is that I do the same for others. So when the time comes, I'm the one who is saying yes. So six years ago, you were probably in Grand Prairie uh, with, with Schlumberger, and yet you were seeking out mentors then? I actually was driving back to Calgary every uh, set of days off to attend um, the innovation events hosted by the University of Calgary. From Grand I, Prairie to Calgary? Yeah, my, uh, my family's still here, so I came to visit my parents, and we'd attend events like... Um, the one I remember I met a few really great mentors at was when the co-founder of Uber came uh, to the University of Calgary and did a speech. And there was just some fantastic entrepreneurial, both entrepreneurs and students and a great wealth of people there who are all passionate about how we can um, build Calgary up as an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I got into it then and I continued to come back for events and um, conferences like that. And it, it made a huge difference. 
how did you, how do you go? This is the part that so many people find difficult. How did you go from attending the event to building your network? I mean, do you actually go up and talk to strangers? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am less comfortable with that than others, but it, it's really important to do so. Um, I find when events are really well done, they make it seeming less to meet new people. Um, and it's something I, I've done is when I've coordinated events in the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, something I've experienced is when an event can force you to talk to someone else, you start talking to more people, their network becomes your network and you just continue. It's like a, it's like a ripple effect. Right. I've, I've had those moments at conferences where they said, hey, everyone stand up, introduce yourself to the person beside you, someone you don't know, talk to them, find out what they do. And I, and I hate that. And I just squirm inside and it's very uncomfortable. But I ended up doing that when I was a speaker as well, because it's so important to break the ice, to, to have people connect in a different way, to break them out of their shells and, and the stories that are revolving around in their head. Um, so what was your pitch line? Is How do you go up to, to a stranger and introduce them, introduce yourself in a way that, you know, you hope they'll see some value in you and not think you're a crazy person? <laughs> Great question. I think it's very unique to the, to the event. Uh, I try to tailor it and personalize it. It might be during an intermission um, and you go up and just say, how are you enjoying the event? And then what brought you here today? Uh, I, I start by asking them a lot of questions. I think it, people love to talk about themselves and their story. And I love listening and, and giving them the opportunity to do that. And then eventually as the relationship grows, we will find connection points on whether or not my story fits into it and we can be collaborative together. Um, but the first thing is just start by asking questions. And the easiest one is, so what brought you to this event today? Why, why are you interested in this? Um, and you'll find you have a lot in common with their response. Right. So, so I've used questions like that as well. But one thing I'm not very good at is the follow-up. How do you turn them from, oh, someone I met at a conference to an ally, as a, 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 a source of help, a supporter, a friend? How do you do that? Do you do follow-up? Follow-up's really important, uh, actually, and it's really hard. I think there are a number of people who I've disconnected with because I, I lost track of the follow-up. Um, and the big thing with the ones that I have very strong in my network now are the ones that I made commitments to myself that we would have those regular follow-ups and it'd be something manageable like once a quarter or once every half year that we'd come together pre-COVID physically and have a coffee and just chat through life, what's new, um, share the, keep sharing the story and keep them involved and um, invested in what you're becoming. So for me, many of those mentors were really career mentors. So I sought advice from them as female leaders, as female engineers, or as um, even male leaders and male entrepreneurs, I, I really didn't discriminate against it. I, I loved that they'd been through something and I could learn from their experience. Fantastic. Um, does it ever get any easier? Uh, for me, I don't think it'll <laughs> ever get easier. I, 
my my co-founder is the opposite and i think it's what gives him fire it motivates him he he is fantastic at it so i i'll admit i definitely have learned a lot from him and there's a lot left to learn but it's entrepreneurship is a lot about being uncomfortable or comfortable in the uncomfortable so right um do the things that make you uncomfortable and and you'll be surprised on how they turn out in the end so it's just another problem to solve exactly yeah self self development is just another problem to solve beautiful i like that self development is just another problem to solve and yet it's since it's an internal problem um you know it doesn't get on our calendars and we may not address it as much as we need to what are the types of self development do you try to do uh i'm definitely very introverted i'm very shy um but i'm also someone who really wants to be a leader and wants to be um inspiring to others to be leaders so the big self development that i'm always doing is how do i push myself outside of my comfort zone and take on those opportunities where i'm forced to get out there forced to meet people attend the networking event and always be uncomfortable um because that's that's the edge of the comfort zone and that's where where it really begins um always be uncomfortable <laughs> i like it i like it i don't know if you've ever been in one of those sessions where people say okay come up with the best advice you can in three words but always that's be a uncomfortable. good one <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good one um and we'll let all the listeners use that as well right oh we, we won't try and keep it just no, between it's, us uh, Okay. Not trademarked yet. <laughs> Not yet. Um, let's get back to to, to nanotest. Um, obviously, it's still small. There's there's some capital, but not 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 much revenue coming in. What do you think it can be? What's your vision for the company four or five years down the road? I think. I think the vision for the company is scaled in the amount of people we're servicing. So I I am hopeful that we can be a big player in the market solving those unmet needs for hundreds and thousands of people. I think the goal of any entrepreneur is to make a billion dollar business. I think for us it's making a billion dollar business that's impacting those millions of people in a positive way. Um, and if we can grow the company in a way that allows us to, to stay, to stay highly, highly profitable, but to make that impact to make that accessible reach for others and to, and to have people see us like that as a company that wants to help and wants to make their products accessible, that would really be uh, the dream and the vision for the next five years. And can this be a global company? Yeah, there's nothing stopping it from growing global. We're focused heavily in North America at this point. Um, that that's just a startup flaw. <laughs> we'll get over that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a when you're in a healthcare company, um, we our growth is very staged for regulatory approvals. Um, so we're very focused on FDA for the U.S. and Health Canada for Canada. Um, but after those two, then it's just about refocusing on a different regulatory body and then growing a marketplace 
um, in the additional countries around the world. Uh, but those are later journeys. We'll get through the first two first. Right, of course. Uh, what, if, if you have Health Canada and FDA approval, how easy does that make moving into Europe or Asia, uh, wherever your next step will be? Does that, I mean, do you have to start from scratch to, 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 to get regulatory approvals in these other jurisdictions? Or are you halfway home already once you have uh, Canadian and American approvals? I think you have a lot of data and evidence that will help in using that towards other regulatory approvals in different jurisdictions. They're really, uh, they're really all very different. So certain ones will require less evidence and others will require more. But our philosophy is that if we can do Canada and the US really well, get really great data, we can leverage that towards other approvals. And there may be nuances. Um, like for example, in some countries, it, regulatory approval is easy, but reimbursement is more challenging. And that's just getting the product um, paid for by the payers and your insurance companies. And those ones will require specific studies, but they have to be done in the country that the payer's in. So there's little nuances like that, which we'll face as we expand and grow. Um, but for now, um, we're, we'll be collecting data that will help us no matter what. And we're recording three, two, one. What do you see as the biggest barrier, Megan, to, to, to your success over the next year? I think our biggest barrier is just remaining really diligent and or diligent on the, on the content and the evidence, the clinical evidence that we're gathering. So uh, as a healthcare company, our clinical evidence is very important, um, both from a customer perspective and from regulatory body perspectives, and to really make sure we're doing everything to the best of our ability. Um, because even if the product is, works great, but the study design was flawed, it doesn't, it, it creates limitations in what we can do. So. That's the biggest barrier is really growing the network and the knowledge in that area to make sure we do it to the best of our ability, um, ensure it's as seamless as possible. And how do you, as a CEO who's been trained in finance and engineering, so the medical stuff is is is, uh, is presumably someone else's ballywick, what uh, what's keeping you busy now? What's the biggest challenge that that, that you face in your role? I. I am the CEO, but I am also all of the other hats in the company. Right now, we are a very, very small team, so we wear all the hats. Um, so what's keeping me busy is, I think, just learning everything. I put on my HR hat. I put on my um, clinical development hat. I put on my science and engineering hat, and I put on my finance hat. So keeping me busy is just uh, managing all of those buckets that are in the air and making sure that the team that we do have is feeling very empowered and motivated to keep pushing it all forward. That's great. Um, you seem to be pretty good at pitching. You said you were kind of shy, but you, but you know, you've won some pitch competitions. Um, and of course it's a fundamental skill for any entrepreneur. So I'm just wondering if you can tell me what's your uh, 10 second pitch for, 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 for your company and, 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 and how did you develop it? Yeah, so 10 seconds, that's that's quite a feat. Um, 
Okay, however many seconds you need. <laughs> Nanoseconds. Nanoseconds. Um, so Nanotest is a social enterprise commercializing nanotechnology solutions in the health and decontamination sectors. And the first problem we're tackling is solving diabetic foot ulcers. And this is a problem that's so big that globally someone will lose a foot every 20 seconds. Um, and our proprietary nanocatalyst-driven solution is really able to solve that unmet need in being able to provide a product that promotes stagnant healing to self-healing, battles infections, and provides 24-7 infection protection um, to hopefully be a solution for many of those suffering from this condition. I wow, think I didn't time it, but that was that was a lot of information. That was, that was amazing. I would suggest... Uh, f f from my position as a journalist who's heard a lot of pitches over the years, I would suggest you pause for breath at some point <laughs> when you deliver that to find if find out if you've still got that person before you go into some of the detail. hundred percent, um, yeah. But but man, the the, the the first few sentences of that are incredibly compelling and detailed and, uh, and, and, and awesome. So congratulations on that. What's the secret to winning pitch competitions? I think it's the exact opposite of what we just experienced. Um, it's actually a lot of practice. So having um, <laughs> ha all pitch competitions are different and time limits are different. The environments they're in are different. And, and really crafting the story that can be said within that time to allow adequate time for, like you said, breathing um, and knowing which, which key messages you have time to fit in I think that's so valuable. And really what's worked well for us is that um, we, my teams have always crafted our pitch, um, like what we want to say, our key messages in our pitch. And then we go out and practice with different people. And we ask them after we've given the pitch, what did they hear? And not for ah. what did they think, but what did they hear? And if they are giving us back those key messages that were really the ones we're trying to communicate in that short period of time, then we've done it right. And if not, we need to change up the strategy and figure out how we can start shifting it to give those messages more emphasis and power. The, That's beautiful. Yeah. What did, <laughs> what did you hear? That's a wonderful question. And the key, of course, is to find a, an audience that lets you ask that question. So, yeah, so it's always, it's, you know, mom, dad, friends brother, sister, <laughs> all of your safe, your safe space people can be the first ones that you do it against first. It doesn't have to be mentors or advisors. The other piece of advice, since this is a, a technical company, and I think many are in similar situations, is to always find ways when you're communicating the technical pieces to make them relatable. Um, so the one we always use is every 20 seconds, someone will lose a limb. He's a yeah, lot more that was impactful, very, we found. Right. I, I, I liked what you did in going from, okay, so the first sentence was a little bit technical, but then you were able to, to just ground it in reality by saying the first thing we're focusing on is the diabetic foot ulcers uh, so that we know. So that, that, that gives us something to hang on to and say, okay, you have a focus. And maybe I know something about that, or maybe I don't. But either way, I understand you better. And then... The fact that you quantify the problem by saying how common these ailments are is really important. And I've found as a journalist, when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, when I say, how big is the problem you're solving? They don't have a metric 
for that. So so I love that you've come up with it. Yeah, it's really hard to do, but so important to figure out how you describe your problem. And the piece I missed in in this short pitch that we love to say at the end of our nanotest pitch is you relate that problem back into something. So the the example that we use is in like a 90 second pitch, we say, um, and during this short pitch, four people have statistically lost a limb and three of them will pass away within the next five years. So you, you get that moment where that 20 second statistic is now realized in a 90 second pitch. That's almost, that's four and a half people, uh, which is crazy. Wow. That is, that is incredibly powerful. Thank, thank you for that tip. The idea of go back and reinforce that moment with a new statistic that really drives it home, makes it uh, clear to people. And, you know, often you say, after you say, if you've been to a pitch competition or you just come home after a day at work, you say, what do you remember about the day of work? That's the sort of thing that will stick with you. And remember, you may not remember the name Nanotest. You may not remember the name Megan Leslie, but you remember those foot people and what an amazing job they're doing. And you'll be on the lookout for them. That's, so that's, really that's, good our, advice. that's our goal, right? It's just to create that awareness around diabetic foot ulcers. If we can do just that, that's a win. That's incredible. Megan, I love the idea that you're involved in such a hugely cutting edge technology area. But most of what we've been talking about is about communication and self-development and courage and putting yourself out there. So it, it's, it's really interesting to think that so many businesses are so similar on the inside because that's those are the problems we all have. And I love the advice that you've been give, giving about do one thing really, really well. And don't be afraid to be uncomfortable. Um, self-development is just another problem to solve. And asking that question of people, what did you hear? I think the, that that's tremendous advice uh, going forward. So I'm going to push my luck and ask you as a last question, do you have one more piece of advice just for entrepreneurs in general who are trying to make an impact in their fields? Um, you got a lot of good ones out of me, but let's see if I can think of a unique one. I think um, the one piece that I've, I've mentioned a bit that I would like to emphasize is to surround yourself by people who believe in you. And it's incredibly, as an entrepreneur, I think many of us will face moments where we're always trying to prove that it works. We're always trying to prove that we can do it. But to just have some people in your network and advisors who just believe in you, even when things aren't going so well, that's been incredibly valuable throughout my entire career, pre-entrepreneurship and during entrepreneurship. Get, get those, Get those believers, and then they help you believe in yourself to push it forward. That's great advice, Megan. Thank you. I've been talking to Megan Leslie, the co-founder and CEO of Nanotests, Inc. in, 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 in Calgary. Uh, she's just at the start of a great journey, but she's already learned a lot. And I hope we can talk again at some point and find out what else you're learning and share that with our audience. You've got great ideas, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how you journey and progress. Thank you so much. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. 
Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence. <laughs>